0: From Brighton on the English South Coast, these
1: are the voices of the Royal Pavilion and Museums with Dr. Sophie Frost.
2: Hello, I'm Sophie and I've spent the past nine months wandering the corridors of the Royal Pavilion and Museums in Brighton and Hove, otherwise known as RPM, uncovering the stories of the museum people or walking encyclopedias, as I have come to affectionately term them, who keep Brighton's historic buildings and collections relevant, vibrant and accessible for the world we're living in. Back in 1873, the Mayor of Brighton described the founding ideals of their museum service as to inspire the minds and morals of the people, forget the busy world and afford pleasure and consolation from illness or depression. Join me in these rich and varied encounters with museum staff and volunteers, all of whom recognise the organisation's collections and buildings as intrinsic to their own identity as citizens of Brighton and Hove. Here in Brighton, the Royal Pavilion of Museums is made up of five hugely significant and wildly eclectic museum sites. You've got the iconic Royal Pavilion in the heart of the city, Brighton Museum, the Booth Museum of Natural History, Hove Museum and Preston Manor, a historic house situated in Preston Park. I'm an academic researcher of cultural organisations and the way they work internally, with a special focus on the role of digital in these spaces. My time in Brighton began with considering how museum people could feel more empowered through digital storytelling, using the microphone as a means of enabling everyone to speak regardless of their job title or salary band. Now it's a time of transition for the Royal Pavilion and museums, as they will shortly be moving to independent trust, having previously been run by the local council. Money is tight, the future is uncertain, and there are vivid debates ongoing across the sector about the symbolic role of museums as sites of trust. So what began as an exercise in considering the digital skills of a workforce became at the same time a meditation on the ebb and flow of change in a regional museum service. So it is Wednesday the 23rd of October 2019, right now I'm standing outside Brighton Museum and Art Gallery and waiting for Michael Olden who works in the education and outreach team here at Brighton Um, and we're going on a trip to Molescombe Primary School where I believe he's going to bring some kind of objects with him. Uh, it's a little bit windy here. I'm in the garden watching life unfold and autumn has struck and oh, and there's a fox in the garden as well there. Just bold as brass. A Brighton fox. I'm going to switch off now and wait for Michael.
1: Well, we've just left Brighton Museum and now I've got a suitcase inside of which there's a Siberian tiger or what's left of a Siberian tiger. It's his skin. He was... Um, it's called Boris, and he was born in captivity in Marwell Zoo and he lived there all his life. And when he died, the zoo donated his body to the Booth Museum, and so we collected it and uh, we kept the bones and we kept the skin. And today I'm taking the skin out to show some children at Moleskoum Primary School in the nursery. They've been doing a project about nocturnal animals. and. Um, Siberian tigers are mostly nocturnal. Are they really? Sometimes crepuscular, Okay. but mostly nocturnal. Word.
2: It looks very heavy. <laughs> How heavy would you estimate it is?
1: Oh, crikey. Uh, <laughs> I could, uh, if it was any heavier, I couldn't carry it. It's quite heavy. <laughs> I should get a trolley, really.
2: When you bring these things along to schools normally, what kind of reaction do you normally get?
1: Um. It's a strange thing to bring the skin of a tiger out somewhere because it, you know, you have to be really respectful of it because it was a live creature that Mm. uh, lived, albeit this one lived in a zoo all its life, but it's still a live creature. Yeah. Yeah, but generally they're fascinated. Every now and again, one of them gets a bit freaked out by it, which I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised, but not not too badly. And generally, by the end, they've because everyone else is so fascinated, they've come round to it. So we'll see. it's generally a really good reaction. Mm. Sometimes the best of it is when some people gasp because it is quite a big thing when you unroll it. It is quite amazing to to think this was once a creature that that roamed around and was alive.
2: Yeah. Did you say how old the tiger was when? It died? Uh,
1: well, Boris was about twenty six when he died. Twenty seven, which is quite old for a tiger in the wild. They probably live till their early twenties, I guess. I mean, he was in a, he was in captive so. He didn't face a lot of the dangers that tigers in the wild face, but having said that, he probably didn't have such fun, I would imagine, <laughs> as a tiger in the wild sometimes. No. I don't know.
2: Was he with any friends in there?
1: Well, tigers are solitary creatures, so they don't really like um, friends. friends, really. They're fairly solitary things. Having said that, he did father quite a lot of cubs. Most big cats that are in captivity, they're part of a big program so that the genome is preserved. And Mm. so, not that he'd know it, but he would probably have cubs all over Europe where other zoos, yeah. So other zoos would have.
2: Do you know I keep staring at his. his case.
1: Yeah, he's just in a black case at the moment. He's, he's not very <laughs> prepossessing. He used to be in a big sack. Well, he still is in a big sack, and I used to just carry the sack around, but it maybe look like some weird Father Christmas. So I put, him in, I put him in a suitcase, which is even slightly weirder. Going back to the children, yeah. one of the things I always do at the end is I always bring it back to their experience. So we will talk, either it comes up a lot, cats, or my grandmother is dead. We're going to get this bus. Oh,
2: and we're now going to read a
1: We'll read a story, and today we're going to read The Tiger That Came to Tea.
2: By Judith Kerr. Judith Kerr, yeah. That's appropriate. Okay, right, we're just getting on the bus now.
1: Okay. Have you got your ticket? Great. Ooh. And I've got my car. Thank, Thank you. you, thanks.
2: Where would Boris like to we go? We might
1: need to go. you have more space to get Boris there. I've never
2: thought about this precious cargo. Yeah. So we sitting, Boris is in the priority space, which feels nice <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael, now we've, we've talked a little bit about Boris, and also it might be good just to talk through a bit
1: your role. Well, I am the early years, and recently early years, and a families officer. Um, and I've been doing this particular role for a, the early years role for about 15 years or so. 2006 I started, I think it was. Um, and I've worked for the museum longer than that, probably started working on and off of the museum in about 96, 97, so maybe 20 years I've been at the museum a while. Um, so my job is to engage young children and families with the museum's collections. I do that in the museum by running workshops and running special free days, um, I help curators put on exhibitions, making sure that the, the exhibition will be a good fit for children and families, um, okay. but m- the bulk of my work is going out to schools and reception classes, nursery classes, nursery schools, children's centres, uh, bilingual family groups, anywhere where adults and young children are, so I can introduce them to the idea of visiting a museum, and I do that by taking out an object from the museum. Um, Today it's Boris the Tiger, but it could be some dinosaur bones, or it could be (coughs) stuffed owls, or it could be snake skins. It could be anything from our collection that might fire an interest. And generally, in consultation with the teacher or whoever that is in charge of the group, they'll say, oh, we're doing a project on the nighttime. Have you got anything nocturnal you can bring out? So today we've brought Boris the Tiger. What we're trying to do is develop a culture of being familiar with museums and museum objects. Um, So for example going to Moleskine school today which is in um, one of the most deprived boroughs in Brighton. In fact it's in one of the most deprived boroughs in the United Kingdom if you look at the league tables. So what we're trying to do is encourage children from that school to to be actively involved in the cultural life of the city and so one way we, I can do that is by introducing them to museums. What
2: do you like most about it?
1: Uh, I think I like most of the interactions with um, the children I have through the, working with the objects. I, before I worked in the museum I was a primary school teacher. For various reasons I began to find it too much work. It's one of those jobs that seeps into your every living moment mm. so I wanted to sort of step back from that a bit but I really enjoyed working with a group of children for a long period and seeing them develop over time and seeing their potential developing. So working with the museum and doing this sort of job gives, still gives me a sort of a flavour of that and I, I can work on a project with a nursery school for maybe once a week for six weeks so over that time I sort of like the children will get to know me and i get to know them and we'll, we'll maybe... Um, get them to do stuff that normally they wouldn't have done or maybe they mm-hmm. wouldn't have been introduced to. Um, and with Molescoom School I, I go there once a month throughout the year, so by the end of the year, you've built up quite a relationship with the children.
0: Oh, that's great. Um,
1: and I've been doing it for several years now, so there's children in other higher up the school that will recognise me and, and, and know me from the work I've been doing with them. And hopefully, that's encouraged them to um, be more involved in the, the museum. And anecdotally, I mean, quite often I'll be in. In fact, I was in Sainsbury's the other day, and uh, one of the women at the checkout said, oh, you must be, are you Michael the Museum Man? And I, and I said, oh, yeah, I think I am. She said, oh, you've really inspired my daughter when you brought in those dinosaur bones, and now she wants to be a paleontologist. And she's only five, so that's, I, I was. I thought, oh, that's good. You know, for a five-year-old to say, I want to be, use the word, paleontologist. Yeah. That's quite great, I think.
2: Well, I guess a bigger... Philosophical question, then, and you're an artist as well, yeah. which I think is kind of an important point. But, and this is sort of um, obvious, so it's silly to ask, but what, what's the point of the museum then for you, for future generations? Because it is obviously still it's such an important part of your work.
1: Well, I guess the mu- museums are the repositories of stories, mm. and particularly stories about where we've come from and where we might be going to. So, for example, we've got an archaeology gallery that I've been quite involved in putting together over the last uh, year or so, and it's now open. We used um, skeletons in our collection that were found in Brighton, so a skeleton found in uh, Whitehawk Hill Fort, which is about 6,000 years old. A skeleton from Patcham, which was an Anglo Saxon, I think, and a a Roman skeleton. So, quite a few skeletons. And all these, we had all the DNA done, um, and we did did all the isotope of their teeth so we could figure out which part of the world they came from. We could figure out their eye colour and their hair colour. We got some forensic archaeologists to reconstruct the faces. So, you can actually go to Brighton Museum now and see people that were Brightonians 6,000 years ago. So you can, sort, you can sort of look someone in the eye that was here 6,000 years ago, and I think that's quite powerful for a lot of people.
2: Then we've sort of got a responsibility as the custodians, current custodians of the museum, to share those stories.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's where my, my work comes in, because I take out these objects, and I, I generally work with very young children, so I generally work with sort of preschool children up to maybe reception, introducing them to the idea of a museum and the importance that objects have, mm that all objects have a story about them. Whatever you've got, you know, you pick any object out of your pocket, you could probably tell a little story about that object. And all museums really do is like gather those and sort those and represent them Mm -hmm. and make connections between people. And I think it it helps us understand where we've come from and it helps us understand where we are and it helps us hopefully understand where we might might be heading for. Mm. So I think that they are really powerful places and, that for, uh, and I think for me growing up museums were really pe- important to me as a child. My dad worked for uh, the local authority. His office was connected to the town hall which in, inside had a museum, an art gallery in fact, it's Southampton Art Gallery. So I quite often after school I'd walk to his office and say can I have a lift home dad and he'd always say Michael it's only half past three I've got to work till 5.30. Why don't you just go and wait in the museum for me? So I'd spent a lot of my childhood hanging around in museums, not particularly initially because I was interested in museums, just because it was somewhere to wait for my dad. But actually, that sort of I got really interested in what was on the walls in the museum and the, in the art gallery. So um, it's, I slowly absorbed
0: uh,
1: this love of museums, and particularly, I think, because it was an art gallery, you know, I, I've ended up working in a museum and in my other life being a painter. So it's, it's interesting how that has worked out for me. You know, I know from other colleagues' stories that they found museums a sort of a, either a sanctuary or somewhere that was important to them, or had had some r- key moment in their lives, um, which was set them on this path of like, being interested in museums and material culture.
2: It's amazing how subconsciously our early experiences so inform what we go on yeah, to,
0: yeah.
1: to spend
2: most of our life doing yeah. or struggling not to do. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. What do you think are the bigger challenges facing museums, Because you've obviously seen it go through quite a lot—the city changing and the priorities of of the council changing. Are there are there things that you fear for the museum, or do you feel like it's just evolving and that's the way it is?
1: Well. It is evolving and it is, I mean, the, the, the museum sector has suffered a lot in recent years through cuts in funding for museums, so in my team we used to have, we used to have six members of the team and now there's only really three of us, I think, maybe two of us actually, Part one is part-time and there's two, two of us are full-time, so materially the those cuts have had an effect on our, our team and also we've been hit by the cuts in other sectors like schools for example. Ten years ago we, we, we would have to Brighton Museum maybe 30, 35,000 School visits a year. The figures for last year, we think we had 20,000 visitors, school visitors. So there's been a reduction in about about 10,000 school visits, and that comes out of schools not being able to afford trips anymore, and partly because of their their precarious finances, but also because of the things like transport costs have gone up, mm. and not many schools are going to be spending that sort of money on a regular basis, maybe once a year for a treat. Brighton and Hove City Councils have a family learning team and they would, do, they would work with parents and children that were struggling for whatever reason with things like literacy or numeracy. So they would do a 10 week course with the children and adults separately and together with two specialist teachers to try and um, develop their literacy and numeracy skills. As part of that, I would go along to visit them in their setting for, for one of the sessions and I would bring something along either something that would stimulate some literacy aspect or a numeracy aspect and then for another week they would come make a visit to the museum but because of the cuts in public funding those um, family learning teams now are pretty much defunct. They're, I think there's more, there's two teachers left in the whole of Brighton now that do that, that scheme and when I started there were eight teams doing that. The cuts in public funding have a a larger effect than just in that particular in your own sector
0: yeah.
1: there actually is a policy at the moment of not collecting any more things for the museum right. and partly it's a funding thing partly it's a space thing we haven't got the space and we actually haven't got the staff to resource that I mean because when you accept something you have to accession it you have to find somewhere to keep it you have to work out a plan on how it's going to be conserved you probably need a conservator involved. So it's, it, it's an expense just to, it's not just like you, someone gives you something and you put it behind the counter and there's like Brighton Museum holds about a million objects we're a bit bursting at the seams really. We really need yeah. a purpose-built storage facility which we haven't got. So it's, it's sort of counterproductive for us to keep accepting things without thinking really carefully about what we what we're collecting and how we're gonna look after those things when we collect them.
2: I guess the silver lining here is we're still sitting on the bus with
1: Boris. Yeah, I'm sitting on the bus going to a school with a Siberian tiger in a box. <laughs> yes. I'm constantly finding taking in the museum that we didn't, I didn't know we had, and I think, God, that's the best thing in the world. Um, I mean, I do like taking Boris out because it's a really interesting thing, and i collecting one of the things that I take out quite often, mini beasts like insects and spiders, mm. that's always a really interesting um, oh. reaction. Mm and you're sort of like breaking lots of boundaries there so yeah, we're going to get off now Oh, we're getting off Okay,
2: it's okay. Outside. And then the school itself lovely That's all the school, is it? Yeah Oh, it's a lovely big school building It is a
1: nice school, isn't it?
2: And this is primary and nursery
1: yeah. Hello. hello. How are you? Oh
2: yeah, all right. A bit cold, but other than that, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually you're right by the window, so I'm
0: I do surprised think you're getting jelly.
1: a little bit of a draught. It space. is cold. No <laughs> heating just changed. Oh lovely. What have you
0: got in your box today? The tiger, Horace oh. the tiger. Lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> See,
1: See, you See you later. See you
0: later. I hope it's a bit warmer out there. Michael. <gasps> hello. Michael, <gasps> Mr.
1: Hello, Michael. Oh, hello. hello. <laughs>
0: Where are you off to? Uh, I'm going to go
1: see the nursery children.
0: When are you going to come and see us?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> when do you want me to come and see you? Well... Today. Today. If <laughs> me, Michael, we need to book him
0: up. I did want to contact you because we're doing
1: superheroes. Oh, well, you contact Super with the right me. fella. But I know
0: you'll do something amazing
1: with them. I'll have a with think. An art. Before Christmas or after yeah. Christmas? Before, <laughs> Christmas. Oh, God. Before Christmas. Okay. <laughs> Send me an email and I'll remember. All right. Have a nice time in the nursery. Thank you. Take some of those children to the pavilion a while ago. Um,
2: I love the way they all knew you, Mike. <laughs> Everyone must be rushing up
1: all the time. Well, it's a, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite often in Brighton and someone, a child, will say, No, it's the dinosaur man. Because <laughs> I would have probably taken some dinosaur bones to their school and uh, that's what sticks in their head.
2: So we're going through the labyrinth of... Oh, wow, what a nice room.
1: Hello, nice
0: oh, to see you. Yeah, and you. Hello. Oh, I was seeing that you were coming to record a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, do you
2: mind? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, Thank you very much. much. Are Mandy? Yes. I'm yes. Sophie. Nice to meet you. Hello. Nice
0: to meet you. Oh, hello. Um, we've just um, got back from PE and we've gone outside. Yeah, yeah, so uh, Are you in a rush? No, we're not
1: in a rush. You shouldn't be. Well, no, Boris is great. Not Yeah.
2: Have you seen Doris before? Yes. Yeah. They know Michael from the school. We've gone through, and just everyone's popped out of the classroom. Yeah, and set they've been off. in nursery. They
0: know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michael's yeah. a bit of a celebrity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you just saying that. Yeah. No, they do talk about Michael a lot. And um, if I get the suitcases out, and they'll say oh, it's Michael's case. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Stop. Let's
1: pretend we're sitting around the pond. Hello, everybody. Can
0: you make a circle? Can you? How do you do it? Like this. My
1: goodness. Now, how is this circle working? Is it a big circle or a small circle? Big circle. Shall we make a big circle? Yeah. So maybe you could shuffle over there a bit. We
0: sit around the edge of the pond. Hello, everybody.
1: My name is Michael. Michael. And where do I come from? Do you remember? The museum. I come from the museum. And I've brought something from the museum to show you. I hear you've been thinking about creatures that come out at night. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. What sort
1: of creatures only come out at night? Um,
0: sometimes bats.
1: bats. Sometimes bats. What else?
0: Um, What about
1: owls? Do they come out at night?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What about cats?
0: I've got,
1: purple. Purple. I've got Yeah, well cats I've got like to come out at night and show. I've got
0: I've got headphones. Headphones. Oh, oh hedgehogs is a good
1: one. And now there is a special word. If you only come out at night time, there is a really special word that you can not use.
0: Nocturnal.
1: It is nocturnal, <sighs> you're and right. My... Well I have brought a creature from like, the booth museum got... that used to be a real live creature, but do you know what? Sadly, it died. But I've brought its skin. This creature has got claws. Anyone here got claws? Show me your claws. No, you've got got fingers, haven't you? (laughs) Has anyone here got fur? Because this is a very furry creature.
0: No. No? No. 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 Has
1: anyone here got a tail? No. No No one? You've got a tail, haven't you? No. No. Oh Well, this creature has got a tail. So it's furry, it's got claws, a tail. This creature did have very sharp teeth. And whiskers and stripes. What could it be?
0: A owl.
1: Not an owl. An owl would be too small, because look. A tiger? tiger? Who said a tiger? Do you know? You are right, it is a tiger. Would you like to see a tiger? Now this used to be a real live tiger, but when it died, all the keepers in the zoo where it lived, lived in Marwell Zoo, said, I know what we can do. We will give Boris's body to the Booth Museum. And we saved the bones. And if you go to the Booth Museum, you can see Boris's bones. And we saved his furry stripy skin. Would you like to see the furry stripy skin?
0: Oh, yes, Right, now,
1: all tigers are really just very big cats. And cats mostly like to go out at night time. My cat sleeps nearly all day, and then when I get home, it scratches on the door and it wants to go out. It's a nocturnal creature. It likes to go out at night. And tigers similarly mostly like to go out at night now i'm going to put boris's head over by mrs hodge there is that okay Yes. and then i'm going to unroll him now is everyone feeling brave Mrs. Hodge. you're not feeling quite so brave so you sit next to mrs hodge now i'm going to roll him out here we go here comes boris you sit back a bit and i'll put the tail just here there we go there's his tail and i'm going to put some of his feet over here. He's got four legs, so one goes there, and one goes here. I'm going to put this one here, is that okay? I'm going like to put one over there. There's another, it's going to go about there, okay? Are you ready? And there's his last leg, He's going to go here, are you ready? Now, Boris does not mind being stroked, so if you are brave enough, you could stroke him, but he doesn't like being trodden on. So, who would like to give Boris a stroke? Me. And you could tell me how he feels. How does he feel? Touch him. Oh, touch
0: him.
1: Yeah, you can touch it. How does he feel? Is he
0: fluffy? He's quite fluffy, isn't he? Is he stripy?
1: Now, if you look at his paws, you can see he's got claws. Can you see them? And Boris can do a trick where he puts his claws out. Put your claws out or put them away. Scrunch them up like that. Put them out. And scrunch them up. And if you look at his paws, in his back ones, his claws are out, and his front ones, his claws are hidden away. Who's got ears here? Anyone? Yeah, oh, you all have. Well, Boris's ears are here, and there's one there. Who's got eyes? Anyone me here? Yeah, two eyes. And I Boris's eyes me. would go there. Mm, yeah, look. you have. There's the. Boris's eyes. On. One there, one there. Look
2: at Boris's eyes. eyes.
1: Who's got a nose? Me. Yeah, everyone's got a nose. Have you have got a one. nose? I
0: have. Yeah, I got yes, you one. have. I can see it. Here is Boris's
1: nose. And who's got a mouth? Me. And I
0: got a mouth. Here is Boris's mouth. Look, there it is.
1: No teeth because I've left all the bones at the museum. And who's got whiskers? Anyone? Anyone got whiskers?
0: No. no. You?
2: No,
1: not yet? I haven't. Not yet. Have you got whiskers? <laughs> Who has got a tail? We We, my goodness, that is a good thing to say. We do use our arms to balance, but Boris can't use his arms to balance because he hasn't got any arms, he's just got four legs. He balance with
0: his
1: tail. He balances with his tail, you're right. There's one special thing about the tiger. It's got stripes. Now, why has it got stripes?
0: Because that's what he looks like.
1: It is what he looks like. But how did he get them and why does he need them? So it's really hard to see a tiger in a forest because of all the stripes. Now, have you got any questions about tigers you would like to ask me? And you need to remember about a question. It begins with what or why. Who would like to help me roll... Boris up. Shall I show you? Because one day you might need to roll a tiger up. Shall I show you how you do it? (laughs) Then I need some very good... Oh, we'll put his tail down here. Well done, thank you. And then, can you help me roll up Boris? So you have to start from this end. Would anyone else like to help? And then roll. Are you ready? Push and keep rolling. Oh, that's good. It has to roll from this end. So you can come down this end if you want to help. There we go. Oh, well done. That's it. Hold on. Wait, wait. Keep going. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: right, now, someone mentioned the tiger that came to tea. I, I don't expect you know the story, do you? Have I you? Do.
0: Have you? I do in the store. No way. Yeah.
1: Would you I like did. to come a bit closer then so you can hear the story? Come a bit closer and we shall tell the story of the tiger who came to tea to say goodbye as
0: well can we say a big thank you to michael because we love having michael come don't we so after three one two three thank Thank you michael michael michael
1: (laughs) Right, so always lovely to come and see you all.
0: That we love having Michael. And will you be around at half term in the Booth Museum?
1: I'm definitely around in Brighton Museum in half term, so I'll be at Brighton Museum so some you of the have days.
0: To ask your grown-ups to go to the museum. And I'll be at
1: the Booth Museum a bit as well. Yes, what is it? Right. Now I'll put let now if you want to help, what you've got to do is grab who's gonna hold some of the bag? Me. There, hold a bit in the bag and then you have to pull it up. It is difficult, isn't it? But you're very good at this, so keep pulling. It up. Oh up it goes higher. Keep pulling. Oh, well done. There, phew, and Boris is back in the bag. There we go. No. <laughs> oh, out here. Oh, let's
0: see.
1: I got it. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's a weird
0: thing.
1: Hmm? It's a strange thing to really. do
2: it's a great thing to do.
1: So it would be interesting to hear what happens over the next few days. What, what they say about it? Like, for example, Aubrey. Aubrey, like she was like horrified, is not she? <laughs> yes. But after her initial her initial horror, she was really interested. By the end, she was asking the most interesting questions.
2: Yeah, she? yeah. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> see, oh, what am so I doing I wrong? And... Oh, sorry, I'm being impatient. Thanks. It was really good to see it and to.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, I don't think many people at the museum understand. They probably know what I do. I think it's quite important. I think it's a, in some ways it's really crucial because it's a, like a, it's like entry point museum work.
2: Yeah. So
1: I think it's really is that your important. It's front line.
2: <laughs> it
1: is, is a bit.
2: It might take a few days, and then suddenly. That tiger becomes, you know, it's this very gentle dissemination or slow realisation about, oh, that's where all those objects are.
1: Yeah, it's like a a jigsaw puzzle or a mosaic. All these things touch each other. You don't really realise they do until one of the pieces falls out and then you realise there's a big gap. A lot of my job initially is building relationships with the teachers Mm. and that's really crucial because, so Mandy is my sort of point of contact for that school really. Oh, here's the bus.
2: Oh, and here's the bus again. Are you happy with this role, with what you do?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's... Oh, there's, there's lots of answers to that, isn't there? Yeah, we'll
2: go on. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, I really enjoy my job. There's always something interesting to do. There's always some interesting... Either a curator to work with or a school to go out to. So there's always interesting people to interact with. Um, I was working with another member of staff. We put on an exhibition to do with portraits, and we had a couple of weeks ago. We had the chief exec of the um, arts council came down to the museum because it was a Labour Party conference, and we had a, some MPs came along, and we showed them around the gallery. And the MPs are really interested in the impact that um, austerity had had on uh, the museum. So we talked about that a bit, and talked about the reduction in school visits and. How the staff's size of the museum had wasn't as big as it had been um, and how we've all, you know, like I used to, I'm now the families and early years officer, well we used to have a families officer who worked full time but that post was deleted so now I do in effect two jobs, yeah, or do both jobs half-time, I don't know however you, you cut it up, but she was saying oh what, what thing, and she was really particularly interested in the education side of the museum And I think, in some ways, education is still seen as a slightly not central. I think a lot of people say it is central, but actually, I guess I would like, in some ways, to see that museums um, flipped their ideas about how to put on exhibitions, and rather than being curator-led, which quite often they are, although that's changing, but to being more in response to what a community would like, and looking and engaging communities in developing ideas for museums which we sort of do in some cases but we don't i just remember when i was developing this archaeology gallery we had a really great team there were like five of us so me as the early years officer they were the schools officer the museum designer who translates all our ideas into actual physical things and we had Two of the curators from Brighton Museum, which, who were really supportive and really got behind the project, but we also had we had archaeologists from outside of the museum working with us. And I remember going to a meeting with some of these archaeologists and, and saying, talking about the impact that we want, we hope the the, the gallery would have on children. And talking about how we wanted to up the visitor figures, and one of the archaeologists said oh, well, Michael, how many visitors do you have every year to your museum? And I said, oh, I don't know the, the exact figures, but our, our schools officers said, oh, well, we have 30,000 school children who visit the museum every year. And without a, a beat, dropping a beat, the archaeologist said, oh, but how many proper visitors do we have? So it's like, yeah still children are not seen as proper visitors to a museum in some people's eyes and that's the thing that needs to be flipped on its head, I think.
0: Yeah. The next stop you know, is Maybe Northern. 20 years ago,
1: a ex- new exhibition would be mooted and it would be underway and then uh, maybe a couple of weeks before the exhibition opened, one of the curators would say, oh what are we going to do for the education side of it? Mm-hmm. It's like, actually it's too late now because you know, it has to be embedded in the actual exhibition. Whereas now, in mean, the last couple of exhibitions, um, especially I'm thinking now the Archaeology um, Gallery, the education side of it, like the schools officer and me, were involved from the very initial meetings about it. And we had quite a lot of say in how the gallery looked. This is us, there we go.
2: Well, that's really good. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Yes, I think that the, the museum does does a really good job, um, but it would be great to push the envelope
2: Sorry. Sorry. It's alright. thought you were about to get run over. There.
1: We'll wait for the green man. It's always safest way isn't it? <laughs> cool. I've got to go back to my office, uh, put Boris away. got a <laughs> workshop I'm running at the Booth Museum on Friday. have to make sure everything's in place for that and i think this theme is this week is dinosaurs i can't remember i must look that up
2: oh well thanks so much for your time today
1: oh you're welcome i really
2: appreciate it and um
1: i'm glad you enjoyed the the visit to (laughs) moleskin yeah
2: i did yeah i don't know i feel a bit pathos about it really i can't explain it because i thought it was amazing to see the kids i just think it's so important the work that you do and i think um I think this question of value is a really good one, hmm. you know.
1: There are so many threads of stories and people do so many different things, um, you know, you could, you could go to Preston Manor and record the children pretending to be Victorians or you, you could go to the Booth Museum and they have a teacher training session and teachers are learning about the Booth Museum and what, what resources it has to offer schools or you know, or you could work with um, the LGBT group that are putting up the next exhibition. In a temporary gallery, so yeah. there are so many threads to a museum. Yeah, it's it, it's not just putting objects in boxes, then cataloguing them.
2: And what a lovely statement from Michael, with which to end this first episode. In what follows in this series, some of the other museum threads that Michael mentioned will also be pursued and investigated. What struck me most about this interview that took place that morning with Michael and obviously with Boris was not just the pure joy and the interest and curiosity and humour and hilarity of those children, but also for me, there was this niggling realisation that young people's experiences of museums don't just rely on well-funded and well-resourced cultural organisations but also on well-funded and well-resourced schools. What most impacts our future generations' ability to experience their heritage, to understand the significance of the past, on the present, and indeed on all of our futures, is the collective dissembling of public resources. This must be stopped. In their support with this episode, I'd like to once again thank Michael Alden, a.k.a. The Dinosaur Man, as well as Mandy Hodge and all of the nursery class at Moleskine Primary School. Please join me next time on Voices of the Royal Pavilion and Museums, where I'll be speaking to perhaps two of the most senior people at RPM, Janita Bagshaw, Head of Royal Pavilion and Museums, and David Beavers, Keeper of the Royal Pavilion, who will be reflecting on their work at the service over the past four decades. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode hit like and subscribe and please leave us a very nice five-star review find out more about the royal pavilion and museums at brightonmuseums.org.uk and more about this project at oneby1.uk. on twitter i'm soph underscore frosty and rpm is brighton museums i really hope you can join me next time till soon goodbye
1: the voices of the royal pavilion and museums are supported by the one by one research project the School of Museum Studies at the University of Leicester, The Keep, Arts Council England, and produced by Lo-Fi Arts.